1: ah ha, ha. i'm actually C love
0: yep uh my lovely wife jess here is uh filling in for michael while I michael is
1: am not filling in i am a headliner that
0: is true that is true i
1: demanded a green room <laughs>
0: um but yes uh jess is here as as a headliner while uh michael is out having a great time with his brothers so we Wish Michael the best of time with his family. And uh, today, Jess and I are going to talk about abortion and where that stands in the United States ever since Roe v.ersus Wade was overturned. And then we're going to have a discussion about the debt ceiling. We're going to do another update about the debt ceiling. I know we talked about that previously. This time, we're going to focus more on the negotiation aspect of it and less about like what it actually is. At this point... If you've listened to the show, you should have a good understanding of what it actually is. And I'm not going to lie to y'all. This one's going to be a bummer.
1: Yeah, I thought of a title for the episode. Yeah. Um, I have two suggestions. Okay. Uh, Number one, we live in the stupidest timeline. Parentheses, oh fuck, we messed up bad. We messed up bad. (laughs) Or, alternatively, we are in the bad place.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Where's the lie? I'm trying to remember if we've used the title of like, we're in this dumbest timeline. Like, I feel like I don't remember us doing that. But I feel like if we haven't yet, that's a wasted opportunity.
1: It's still true if we haven't. Or (laughs) if you have.
0: That is true. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's get started. Because, you know, ever since we stopped doing the COVID numbers, the transitions are so awkward for me. Like I used to have this whole system of speaking of blank, You know,
1: speaking of things that need to be aborted, (laughs) that transition.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this was bad. Abort, 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 abortion. Let's talk about abortion. So as many of you probably already know, uh, Roe versus Wade, which was a 50 year Supreme Court precedent, was overturned by the Dobbs decision several months ago. And ever since that, I mean... Things have been pretty reasonable. You know, nobody's been doing a lot of bad things. States have actually been reacting, uh, with measured responses.
1: You lie. Let me throw my shoe at you.
0: (laughs) Now I'm just fucking with you. 14 of them have completely banned abortion. Uh, Georgia so far has passed a six week abortion ban, uh, I believe Florida recently passed yes. it, but it hasn't gone into effect yet. We have. <sighs> Fuck a, DeSantis. Yeah. We have a 12 week ban from Nebraska, a 15 week ban from Arizona, Florida. Uh, we have a 18 week ban in Utah, a 20 week ban in North Carolina. And then in some other states, there are some uh, restrictions around the 22 week level or the viability level. Um, but for the most part, the rest of the country, abortion is still protected. And in some states, there's actually been a passage of more protections uh, on on abortion, which... Couldn't is... be Virginia. No, not Virginia. Uh, but it is still legal in Virginia. Um So, yeah, that's the overall state of where we are. Uh, As we warned, there have been many states that have passed restrictive abortion laws. And in some cases, like in the case of Alabama and Arkansas, they don't even have exceptions for rape or incest.
1: Well, I mean, that makes sense for Alabama now. (laughs) Ouch. I'm not sorry.
0: Shots fired.
1: (laughs) If you're going to act a fool, I'm going to treat you like one. Yeah. The whole state of Alabama.
0: But I think it makes sense for us to also spend some time talking about some of the, the real human costs to this because we can look at these numbers and we can think those numbers are terrible, those numbers are awful, those numbers represent people. But I think to get the full picture of how much of a horrific impact that these abortion bans have had, we really need to talk about some of the specific stories, some of the specific disasters that have occurred as a result of these bans?
1: Yeah, there's a whole lot. Um, All of it was entirely foreseeable. It is all of the things that you may have heard um, abortion rights activists talk about for many years are really listed there. I know I have felt frustration because I've been talking about Roe v. Wade being slowly chipped away at and being really clearly set up to be overturned for years. And I had people in my life who were like, oh, you're just always so worried about this political stuff. And I don't really want to engage with that. And now it's really relevant to them and it's in their minds right up front and center, which is not a bad thing, but all of this was foreseeable. All of this was extremely and explicitly laid out, like just all the time. Mm. So it's interesting to watch a bunch of... Some, or at least some, legislators and physicians say, "Gosh, this wasn't intended to do that." Um, Including like one lawmaker who helped with drafting uh, a particular bill. and who said well this was never intended to prevent medically necessary abortions just elective ones in the case of you know helping someone avoid death this this abortion ban shouldn't affect them here's the thing all pregnancies carry the risk of death these Fucking idiots don't seem to understand that point, but I'm really going to harp on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've we've made this point on the pod before. Pregnancy is a life-threatening condition. Pregnancy is a life-threatening condition. And the way that a lot of these laws end up working, the ones that, you know, even when they do have those exceptions for the life of the carrier, which I believe almost all of them, if not all of them, have that carve out, even when you have that... The way that's often translated to is unless you are dying on the table, Mm. which means you have all of these instances where there are these pregnant women that have either a non-viable fetus or they have some type of life-threatening condition beyond just normal pregnancy that will result in them potentially dying or potentially being at risk of dying later down the line of their pregnancy But because they are not dying on the table in that exact moment, they're forced to wait until it becomes an emergency and then physicians are allowed to step in. And at that point, the procedure is more invasive. It's more damaging and it's, you know, and and it's more costum. It it, it costs more.
1: So... A couple of things i ran across in my research that seemed to be the issue is that these laws are written very vaguely yeah now i do ascribe some malicious intent to that i yeah. think that the lawmakers who write this don't truly give a fuck yeah. about pregnant people i'm gonna say pregnant people by the way anyone who has a problem with that can fuck off um <laughs> because Yes, it's true that this is a women's rights issue because the majority of people who become pregnant do identify as women. And this country hates women. But also there are people who become pregnant who are trans and this country also hates trans people. So I'm going to say pregnant people. And also these lawmakers don't give a fuck about them.
0: Yeah,
1: they really don't. And I well, believe I mean, that these
0: laws are virtue sickness.
1: Well, I think a lot of the vagueness does come from that. But I also think a significant portion of it comes from these lawmakers being too moronic to actually understand anything about pregnancy or um, like the reproductive system in general. So they think like that lawmaker I quoted that they've made something very clear, but they don't have the expertise to legislate this. It's almost like. They shouldn't be.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Another issue that seems to come up is that there are hospitals and um, medical providers who are anti-abortion. And yeah. they are using this as an excuse to deny care. They yeah. are using it for plausible deniability. In some cases, it's also a risk aversion thing. It's not always yeah. malicious. There are... Um, There was a physician that stopped providing abortions in her practice because she was seeing that her state was likely to have that go into effect. And she said, as a black provider in this very rural, very conservative, very white supremacist state, I don't feel safe providing this. Someone could try to inflict legal damage on me that I cannot recover from. Yeah. Um, A lot of organizations have had to close out their services, and it's also worth noting that a lot of these practices that provided abortion services are now having to just shut down completely, because without the abortion services, they can't offer full and comprehensive services for anyone. So those are your wellness checkups, your birth control... If you have maybe uterine cancer or something like those are the places where you get screened for things like cancers or tumors or cysts, that would be your first stop. And those are just disappearing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these other non-abortion related things that doctors are having to cut down on are the things that prevent unplanned pregnancy to begin with. I mean, when you have businesses that were initially focused on preventing Uh, unplanned parenthood, a lot of those clinics are not just providing abortions. They're providing contraception. They're providing education. They're providing birth control. And uh, guess what? Birth control reduces the likelihood of abortion because it reduces the likelihood of unplanned pregnancy. And basically, this just results... I mean, Michael and I have talked about this in the past. There are lots of ways that a society can try to reduce the number of abortions that happen and bans are the least effective and most destructive method of doing it oh
1: forgot to mention by the way in those states with the really firm anti-abortion laws um because a lot of these obstetric and gynecological practices are either having to shut down or severely limit what they offer a lot of medical residents are choosing like medical students people who will then go into residency are choosing not to practice in those states because they don't believe that they will get all of the care and education that they need because they're not even teaching them some of what they need to know if they're not going to stay in that state about abortion care. So not only will they be losing um, all the practitioners who decide to leave the state, they will also lose uh, medical um, like upcoming practitioners from their state. It's, it's just another key example. Not that any, I, I don't expect you have like a wide conservative audience, but, um, You know, if you happen to have someone in your life that maybe listens to you and is conservative leaning, trying to explain to them, these legislators don't care about y'all. They just don't. They don't care if you can't get anything. Side note, OBGYNs are who pregnant people seek out. So in that state where you're going to be forced to be pregnant, you will now not be able to get as much care because there's going to be... A reduction in the available staff to assist you.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, I I think that I, I like how you're drawing that distinction between potentially like conservative voters, conservative leaning people and, and legislators, because in my experience, there are huge chunks of conservative voters or, you know, conservative, just regular everyday citizens that when they're confronted with a lot of the implications of what is going on, I'm, um, you know, they, they might be thinking like, like they might've passively thought to themselves like, yeah, you know, I'm against abortion. I'm against killing babies. But then they hear a story about, you know, like the, the 10 year old, which I'm sure that we're going to talk about in a bit, um, who was raped and then had to like, was it go out of state to get I've, an
1: abortion? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, They're horrified when they hear that, or they hear instances, uh, some other examples that we're probably going to be Mm -hmm. going into of women who have almost died because they weren't able to get an abortion quick enough. Um, And I think I think even a lot of conservative voters will hear that and think, okay, I don't like abortion, but that's not okay.
1: Yes, actually, that leads really well into something that I think a lot of people already know, which is that the majority of Americans still support abortion rights. Yeah. 61% say they mostly support abortion rights, and 37% count themselves as opposed. Um, Now, that is near record high in the Marist survey. Um, And so a third of Republicans qualify themselves as mostly supporting abortion rights, Not that that is total, but that's still relevant. And um, a lot of people who mostly support abortion rights say that they or someone they know had an abortion. That's interesting. Yeah, that includes 69% of Democrats, 59% of independents, and even a majority of Republicans at 54%. Yeah.
0: And look. A third of Republicans, that is still a significant chunk of Republicans. And and this is and again, this is why on this show we really try to make sure that, you know, the, the enemy is not your neighbor who has a Trump flag out back or whatever. Um, your enemy is the legislators that are systematically taking away your rights and the lobbyists that are paying them to do it.
1: Yeah. And again, A lot of the people even who would consider themselves somewhat opposed to abortion, a lot of them aren't even okay with a six-week ban. A lot of them think it should be restrained to the first trimester. Yeah. Um You know, it's it's again, it's one of those things where people who live in the real world Often know, okay, six weeks, as I'm sure that you all have talked about, and I'm sure most of your um, listeners understand, six weeks is is almost nothing. Yeah. Um, unless you were trying to get pregnant, you might not even know, because if you are two weeks late for a period, that's not that uncommon. Also keeping in mind, even if you're only a week late for a period that's pretty common. If you take a pregnancy test right after a week, you have a week to figure out the money for an abortion, possibly getting off work, finding transportation, depending on what's going to happen. If you're ordering this through the mail, which I can't, um, uh, you know, you're having to wait for these things. So it's really just ridiculous to expect that someone can organize that within a week to two weeks. It's just not possible.
0: Yeah. So, what are some of the horror stories that we've been hearing so far about, about some of the real world impacts and so like
1: yeah. anecdotal
0: impacts that have happened. So
1: obviously trigger warning for people. Yeah. Um, I would just say if you are feeling like you can't hear about this, you should take care of yourself mm. and not listen. There will be some descriptions of um, medical trauma uh, you know, some descriptions of um, general buffoonery from legis- legislators that might just raise your blood pressure sky high.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: I think one of the horrors that I-, I think it seems underwhelming at first is just the lack of knowledge from the legislators, genuinely, or even just from populations who support total bans where they will say things like, well, if, if you're saying, you know, it's two weeks after a missed period, why don't you just take a pregnancy test after every time you have sex? Yo, <laughs> it doesn't happen instantaneously. Um, without going into this very long description of pregnancy, It can take a while for sperm to make its way through the cervix, for an embryo to actually implant on your uterine wall. All of that can take a while, let alone the fact that that can't show up in a pregnancy test. They have some good pregnancy tests that can detect things pretty early, but no pregnancy test in the world that exists will ever detect if you're pregnant the moment you finished having sex.
0: Who said that?
1: That wasn't a specific legislator I found. It's just sort of a sentiment that's been echoed from a few people. I
0: I hear that and I'm like, in order to say something like that, you must not have sex very often well i mean it's kind of like when you hear
1: someone say i don't understand why women can't just like hold their periods in until they go to the bathroom (laughs) and you would think that only one human would ever be stupid enough to say that but apparently not just one human i don't think it's a huge portion but i think it's again indicative of a lack of understanding of how reproduction works which makes sense when you consider sex education in the united states yeah so that's one of the horrors and i i just i think that's important again these legislators I've talked before—they don't necessarily understand how the human body works, let alone how reproductive systems work, let alone all of the risks that are part of pregnancy. Um, I will say I am currently a pregnant person, yeah. <laughs> and y'all, it's scary. You go to doctors' offices and they check everything. They're like, "Hey." Um, you had this one abnormal test, and we're concerned that this could mean you have this condition. That can happen. Some other people might never have any issues come up during their their pregnancy. It's also worth considering um, disability status, chronic health status. Anything can happen when you're pregnant. That is the point I'm making. That's something that no one else can really determine the risk for you. You have to be able to determine the risk and decide if you want to carry a pregnancy because up to birth and actually after birth, um, you can have severe, uh, you know, severe bodily harm, including up to death. Yeah. Um, So that's so some of the specific horrors that I encountered uh, are just, you know, a lot of them are about. People who wanted or needed abortion care rather from medical necessity and were denied and put into dangerous medical situations. Um, one story I read was about these two friends, actually, two, two women who were best friends in Florida. And um, they both had a condition called pre viability, preterm pre labor rupture of the membranes, PPROM. Which occurs in less than 1% of pregnancies. It was just a coincidence that both of these women ended up having it at the same time. Both of these women met because they were going through um, infertility. And they met in support groups with each other. They both wanted their pregnancies. They both had made it past the first trimester. And we're very excited about that. Um, in this case, one woman had her water break. Um, six weeks ahead of when a fetus can survive on its own, drove to the emergency room, and the doctor said that she was having PPROM and then sent her home with antibiotics because as the physicians were interpreting Florida law, they really didn't feel like they could count that as life-threatening because it's less clear-cut. Now, like fetuses can't really survive without the amniotic sac, and especially at this... um, stage so what they normally would do is induce someone or possibly even do um like a uh, um an abortion to or a surgical procedure and to end it instead in this case that woman had to be sent home um and later on when she was at a hair salon uh she started noticing that she was In labor she went to a bathroom Um, she labored on the toilet knowing that this fetus was not going to be viable Um, she bled a lot she actually had complications afterwards Um, and it's noted here that probably she would have experienced all of these things in the hospital and that's the issue because of these medical conditions, Jeez. she was not considered at life-threatening risk. Now, granted, she could have developed sepsis from something like this. So that's why they sent her on with antibiotics. Granted, she could hemorrhage because that's always a risk of birth. The reason why it was such an issue that they wouldn't see her and let her stay in the hospital is because they really the physicians were trying to say that they can't say clear cut that this person will have a severe, like an irreversible physical impairment. So in this case, Uh, This woman had a pretty traumatic experience of going to the hospital, hemorrhaging. At one point, the doctors did tell her husband that, you know, she could very well die. And if she did live, they may have to um, take her uterus out. And that was devastating to a couple who tried for so many years to get pregnant. In the end, they were able to preserve her uterus. She went to her clinic, fertility doctor, and sadly... um, there are some complications from that experience none of that is necessarily directly related to not being able to have an induction or a surgical procedure to remove the fetus you can't know you can't know if she would have done better there's no way to know but the issue is that this woman was sent home when she had a medical urgency simply because it wasn't considered life-threatening enough yeah
0: the, th- the problem with these bans, even—I mean, f- first off, from the, from the freedom-based perspective, you know, everybody should be able to decide what happens to their body and all that. But from the medical perspective, the Republicans like to paint the progressive position on abortion as being, we want everybody to be able to just go to the clinic and get an abortion up to the point of birth, you know— Regardless of whether or not there's viability or, or or whatever, and that is such a mischaracterization because the problem with bans is that even bans that say you know up till this point is that it limits options in cases like that because yeah. because the the reason why late term abortions happen are either one, and I, I've said this before, but are either one the person did not have financial access to an abortion earlier in their pregnancy. Number two, they did not have geographic access to an abortion earlier in their pregnancy. Or number three, there is some type of health complication. People aren't like just waiting around Thinking, well, I'm just going to wait until this is a fully it's not formed like, fetus. It's not like to, when you plan to, to go
1: it. to the post office and you keep thinking, ah, shit, I meant to yeah. stop by the post office for like four weeks.
0: Yeah, that's not what that's not what this is. That's not what that's not what's happening. So the reason why having these bans, even if they are the, the less restrictive ones, why that's bad is because they're going to have these unintended consequences where where there's going to be an issue where a hospital is going to need to make a decision about a person's life. And the idea that they have to consider legal ramifications when it comes to saving a pregnant person limits their ability to do their job.
1: So yes, we will get into some of those unforeseen consequences. I mean, they kind of were foreseen, but I know what you're saying like that, Some of what unforeseen
0: by the people that crafted the legislation or at
1: least ostensibly, Ostensibly. they would say that it's unforeseen. I don't truly believe that because I think the people who crafted that legislation are vicious and hateful people. I think that another issue that has been coming up is just how many exceptions or exemptions to these bans exist and that again is another issue you can't legislate it because there are so many exceptions for example so there are several people in texas who were denied abortions suing suing the state of texas now they i believe they've been it has started with five women and i believe it's now been um just added on as more people have experienced this uh there were Several stories that came out of that. Some of them were, um, you know, uh, something like someone's water breaking too early um, and that this person feared infection. So she flew to Colorado to get a termination. Um, There were two Texas doctors who are suing the state on behalf of themselves and their patients because they're just saying, you know, we're threatened by losing our medical license, fines, and up to 99 years in prison. So doctors and hospitals turning people away, it's its bad for the patients and it's bad for the physicians. Um, there were also... Um, Issues And this is something that maybe people aren't as aware of where abortion might be necessary in cases of multiple pregnancies. Mm. Here's why multiple pregnancies increase your risk and the risk of like fetal harm exponentially. So in one of the cases of these um, women who are suing, they had twins. It was a high risk pregnancy and they were told if you can reduce this pregnancy by one twin, I believe one twin was not. Um, as likely to have a viable birth, they said, you know, it would really save um, the chances of the other twin. So that person chose to do that because they did want that pregnancy and they did want that viability. It's, it's another situation where people don't think about if you end up with multiple pregnancies, there are a whole lot of risks involved, and you might have one fetus that is not viable or has major complications and one fetus that doesn't, um, or you may have more than two fetuses. All of that increases your risk. All of that is relevant. A reduction is an abortion. It's just instead of aborting all the fetuses there, it's yeah. one or you know possibly more. I cannot stress enough that abortion doesn't just happen to um you know the idea people have in their head of like irresponsible people who have lots of unprotected sex, who don't care about um accountability. It's not that. It's usually not that, and even if it is, people make mistakes. Yeah. It's weird to say let's punish you and a future child for a mistake. Yeah, weird, weird flex conservatives, weird flex.
0: Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, um, I mean, I think I think Jess makes a really good point. A lot of these consequences were very much foreseen and warned by uh, by pro-choice activists and, and advocates. And at the end of the day, the legislators that are enacting this. A lot of it is just virtue signaling to their constituency. Because this was the issue that Republicans had been using to keep their base in line. And I I honestly do believe that most of them never thought anything would ever come of it because they assumed that Roe would never get overturned. And now that it has, they have to actually do what they said they were going to do. And they realize that it's a lot more destructive than they thought.
1: So I think that's a lot more generous to some of these um, (laughs) anti-abortion People and some of these legislators than I would be. Um, In particular, there's a really, really awful uh, clip, which I'm sure you can find and some people may have already seen, from uh, Laura Streitman, who's Cincinnati Right to Life leader, um, when she was talking about uh, there was a 10 year old girl who was raped and then went to Indiana for an abortion. Uh, And she said, and I quote, while a pregnancy may have been difficulty on a 10-year-old body, a woman's body is designed to carry life. So, you know, also listed in her um, argument there, she talked about how, you know, when her daughter was 10, she liked playing with dolls and wanted a baby sister. So, you know, 10-year-olds would enjoy a baby. Maybe they wouldn't enjoy pregnancy. But, you know, a woman's body is designed to carry life. Now, yeah.
0: And I, and when I was a, you know, when I was a kid I played cops and robbers. I guess that means that now that I'm an adult I want to go rob a fucking bank.
1: We should break the banks. <laughs> um so it's it's really it's something that you think that only a mustache twisting villain who's over the top would be doing like in Gilead, but unfortunately there are people who think this way who think it's okay side note um a 10 year old isn't a woman for anyone who is confused yeah a 10 year old is not a woman and the risk of complications and death are really high for people who are under really from ages 10 to 19 they're considered higher risk so we've talked about like women in texas are trying to sue the state of texas Y'all, we also need to remember that in the United States, we often get stuck in our brains thinking about, um, oh, just how everything happens to us. And we're so focused on that. The world is watching and it is it's a lot. Um, Basically, there has been a letter that is appealing to the United States nations to intervene over the destruction of abortion rights in the United States. Um, This letter has been sent by, you know, abortion rights groups, and it's been really well researched. Uh, We'll have the link to a breakdown of this so that you can read on it. But some of the things that they cite um, about, you know, kind of how dangerous this is and what it involves is that, You know, some of the documentation from these women's rights groups describe difficulty for people in the United States for accessing abortion in case of miscarriage. Forced travel across state lines in emergencies. Denial of care in cases of ectopic pregnancy. Side note, ectopic pregnancies are never viable. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. That fetus cannot survive and it can kill The person who's carrying that fetus and it will rupture and it will be dangerous. Um, Hospitals delaying care until the woman's health has deteriorated to a level most certainly to fit within the narrow and vague risk to life of the mother exceptions. Professionals withholding information fearing that their advice could violate anti-abortion laws. Reduced access to non-reproductive health care. For example, chemotherapy, because there have been instances where people who need chemotherapy for cancer treatment can't get their cancer treatment because it's a risk to this fetus that they're carrying, even though them dying from cancer is also a risk to this fetus. The infliction of serious psychological harm on women and girls forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy, complications for adolescents forced to give birth, reduce access to other forms of reproductive health care, including contraception. Heightened risk of violence faced by pregnant individuals in abusive relationships. Yet another reason some people delay getting an abortion, as was the case for one woman who described not being able to even see prenatal care because her abusive partner wouldn't let her go. And then she finally got away from him only to discover that she was just past the date when she could get an abortion in her state. And pregnant individuals who basically avoid prenatal care so that they are not surveilled. All of these are implications. Um, I would definitely recommend you read up on this appeal to the UN because it's it's pretty comprehensive and it helps describe just the state of the United States in general. Uh, So yet another bummer. Planned Parenthood has announced some layoffs. Um, They are going to have to cut back on the amount of their workforce, about 10 to 20% of their national workforce. Uh, it's just, it's real bad here. Like I said, we live in the bad place. Um, there have also been issues with the abortion pill, mifepristone being um, legislated out. Uh, there was a challenge that the FDA you know, somehow didn't go through the proper approval process for this pill. This is one of the most commonly used um, medications in abortion, in medication abortion. Um, it, it seems that the result of an appeal on that judgment was that uh, you can still access... That pill, unfortunately, um, what it seems like now is that it can no longer be mailed. Um, They're also limiting when it can be used. They're also putting a bunch of stipulations in that. So this is relevant for people who are living in states where they can't get access to abortion. They can no longer um, appeal to sites that will mail it to them, depending on the state. So I'm not sure that that's completely gone into effect um i'm not sure it actually will stop people either because even if the united states stops sending that you can still go through international suppliers and this brings me to not really ending on a good note but ending on a note of um keep fighting keep trying to fuck them up (laughs) which is that there are things that people can do if you want to promote abortion rights um and there are things that are being done so it might give you some hope um There are websites such as mayday.health. Where you know they tell you how you can order abortion pills. Um, They tell you about free and anonymous legal questions, like a a helpline where you can talk about legal questions, a miscarriage and abortion hotline for medical questions, surveillance and self-defense. There are countless social media medical professionals, like social media influencers who are medical professionals, giving advice to people where they're talking about things like, hey, if you had an abortion and you need to go to a hospital to follow up on your. You know, just so you know, there's no legal way or no, no medical way for them to know that you had an abortion unless you tell them because miscarriage and abortion are often treated the same way. Again, I'm not a medical professional. You should seek those out on your own, but they are trying to give people as much information as they can to help them. Um, There are medical professionals who are being careful about how they document uh, abortion or disclosures of that because they care about their patients. Um, There are even pilots who are trying to help people access abortion in other states and also access gender affirming care. There's a group called Elevated Access that has basically... Um, been able to recruit some pilots who are volunteer pilots who have access to private planes where they would be putting in the hours anyway and they will pick up people in these states who need to get to these appointments where it might take them days they might have to stay in a hotel they might not easily be able to do that and instead they can fly there or it also helps people who maybe don't have the documentation to fly such as Victims of domestic violence, where they've had their legal documents taken away or undocumented um, people. So it's there's also if you go locally and you want to help, you can look up how to help people access abortion. There are a lot of abortion rights groups who will talk about people donating money for um, travel expenses, maybe even helping people travel. There is an underground abortion rights network, and that's not nothing it sucks that that's necessary but as Nathan said in those there are a lot of states who've gone full abortion ban or at least very restrictive and there are other states who saw this and decided to codify abortion protection so if you're fortunate enough to live in one of those states I would also be making sure that people in your life that you care about like you can also offer people places to stay there are a lot of ways that you can help even if you don't have money to assist (music)
0: So now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Good Actually. So Jess, why do we do Good Actually? Because good actually is all around us. That is true, that is true. As crappy as the world can be, if you look around you, you can see it, you can see the good.
1: Nathan, uh, what is the Good Actually this week?
0: Our good actually this week is the fact that there is actually there's a state that has been doing a really damn good job at passing some really important progressive legislation. And it's not a state that I would typically automatically associate with a bunch of progressive legislation. But hell, I'll fucking take it. Minnesota has been kicking ass. Like first off, they're they're one of the they're one of the states that expanded abortion rights, which is awesome. Um, they they implemented a policy for universal school meals, um, which is great. They have a carbon free electricity bill, uh, carbon free by twenty forty. So taking doing doing its part to fight against climate change, they did this uh, one time rebate, which was estimated to impact two point five million households. There was transportation funding, a gas tax and delivery fee. There was they Some implemented, sexy stuff. They implemented paid family and medical leave. Ooh. They uh, they banned gay conversion therapy and Good. declared that they were a trans refuge. Um, they uh, they passed gun control measures, which, you know. OK, cool. Um, they uh, did a driver's licenses for all policy uh which means not just not just the um the citizens but also immigrate immigrants uh making sure that immigrants are able to get uh driver's licenses um they legalized recreational marijuana we love to see that
1: i'm sorry did you say this is minnesota this
0: is minnesota
1: wow
0: yeah um you they, betcha huh they implemented uh a new voting rights law to expand uh, to expand voting um they they even implemented tuition-free college <gasps> for people, for for families making under $80,000 a year.
1: I mean, I don't know what the typical salary um, or household income is in Minnesota, but I wouldn't be surprised if that is a lot of
0: people. Yeah, that's, ah, that is, that is huge. Man, school funding index to inflation, index to inflation. We love, we love to see that. So-
1: good on minnesota
0: there was some additional regulation on uh, certain chemicals that uh that had been impacting water um uh, pfas chemicals uh in in firefighting foam apparently that has been really bad for for water um earned safe and sick time and i just like to point out this was with a senate majority by one vote all right They had a Senate majority by one vote, and they managed to pass all of this shit.
1: Local elections matter, y'all. Yes.
0: State elections like show up for that shit, because Minnesota is reaping the benefits from not just being able to get Democrats in charge, because Democrats in charge, as we know on a federal level, is no guarantee that good things are going to happen. Yeah, it kind of sucks. But- when you actually hold them accountable, when you actually make sure that they pass the shit you you sent them to pass, I mean, you which can, you can
1: do more effectively. You can on a do local more level. effectively
0: on a local and state level, um, unless
1: they stop taking your calls.
0: Beautiful, just beautiful. So, I love to see it, Minnesota. Congratulations to to the people of Minnesota. Congratulations to the legislature. Keep it up, and that's good, actually.
1: Let's talk about the super sexy debt ceiling.
0: Let's do it. Let's do it. We know that the debt ceiling has just been such a tease recently. I mean, they keep telling us like, hey, I have a deal for you. And then they show us the deal and it's dog shit.
1: Ew. I mean, or, (laughs) or somebody might be into that. I don't want to yuck anyone's yum.
0: (laughs) I will yuck that yum. Sorry. (laughs) Anyways... Great transition. Let's talk about the debt ceiling. So I know that we've already talked about the debt ceiling. Uh, I want to talk more specifically about the negotiation between Democrats and Republicans, between the House of Representatives, which is controlled by Republicans and the White House, uh, about a deal to prevent a default on our debt, which just to give you a little bit of a a refresher, um, the United States is going to hit the debt ceiling on june 1st and if that happens it will almost certainly lead to this massive recession in the united states
1: a recession Uh, here
0: in this economy this is not your father's recession though um Um, this is
1: i'm sorry but i don't think our fathers had to go through (laughs) as i mean like technically they went through the same recessions but not in a short a period of time
0: The, the the point is um This would put us into unprecedented territory, and economists are warning that a default on the United States debt would have major economic consequences and uh, of almost an apocalyptic proportion. And the thing is, this fight does not need to be happening. You would think that raising the debt ceiling, meaning the amount of money that the United States government is allowed to borrow, you'd think that that would just be a no-brainer. But of course, Republicans are using it as a bargaining chip because at this point, it's kind of their only leverage to get their agenda passed. Now, because they control the House, they can prevent the Democratic agenda from being passed. But if they want to get any of their horrific agenda passed, this is the only leverage they have. But the problem is the leverage that they're using basically amounts to holding the entire United States economy hostage risking an economic disaster in order to achieve horrific means i mean you can't
1: say you're surprised remember when they were talking to us about like the government shutdown and they were like but literally no government officials would ever let that happen because that would like be awful and then ted cruz was like hold my beer yeah
0: and and just a reminder this is different from a government shutdown
1: I Uh, I do understand. I just meant they will press the button and kill us all just for funsies.
0: Yeah, basically. So I just want to be very clear as I'm going through this, that any, any Republican that tries to make this about, Oh no, we're just, we're just trying to do this negotiate this negotiation because we care about responsible spending. They are lying. They are lying. We are hitting that debt ceiling. Like whether there's a deal or not, We are hitting that debt ceiling, whether they're spending or not, because we have a deficit and there is no way you are going to take away that deficit overnight. And on top of that, the budget for this fiscal year has already been decided. This just means that we're going to hit the point where we don't have any more debt to borrow. But this is but the things that are going to be passed, the, the things that we're currently paying for are things that we've basically already agreed to pay for. Quick question.
1: Can we solve this if we bail out more corporations, <laughs> raise taxes on the lower class, and 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 spend more money with the DOD? Is that is that the solution? I'm just here I'm just spitballing some things. Is that the solution?
0: I mean, you're actually not that far off from <laughs> Kevin McCarthy's. I mean, he's okay, so so Kevin McCarthy's current proposal. I just want to walk you through this. And I, I, first, I want to go through the facts of this, and then I want to kind of, um, then I want to walk you through how truly horrific all of this is. And then I will weep. So the, the proposal that Republicans have made is to basically cut the current budget to the level that it was in 2022. Basically, what that means is that there's no adjustment for inflation.
1: Well, having been to the grocery store recently, I can tell you inflation's actually not that bad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't say that.
0: Yeah. Um, so here, here's what that means. All right. Overall, the, the deal that McCarthy put on the table was a $3.6 trillion cut over the next 10 years. And this is specifically cuts to discretionary spending. Now we've talked about the difference between mandatory and discretionary spending in the past. Remember, mandatory spending are uh, basically sets of spending where they're defined. all right And in order to in order to change them, you have to pass some type of legislation in order to change them. Discretionary spending, is something that basically needs to be renewed every year. So the way that this would work is that with a $3.6 trillion uh, over 10 years cut to our discretionary spending budget programs such as uh, housing, childcare, social services, public health, education, college student aid, job training, would be cut. Now, here's the thing. Military, def- national defense, is part of discretionary spending, but they've stipulated veterans' benefits are going to be saved, right? Well, I, they they've stipulated that veterans' benefits are going to be saved. They've stipulated they've stipulated that defense uh, that the defense budget is is going to be saved. But what that means is that in order to fulfill that 3.6 trillion dollar number they're going to have to cut even more from the other programs. And again, I just like to point out like this should really tell you all you need to know about the Republican Party. And actually, not even just the Republican Party, but just how fucked up our politics are right now because the priority is always when it comes to when it comes to cuts, the defense is off the table. We're never going to cut defense. We're never going to cut defense. And that is for both Democrats and Republicans. They're cons- they've consistently raised the military budget almost every single year. And right now, we have a military budget of $877 billion, which is more than the next 10 countries combined. It is more than China, Russia, India, Saudi Arabia, United Kingdom, Germany, France, South Korea, Japan, and Ukraine combined i just think that you fail to
1: recognize how difficult it's been to like account for drone strikes on children and civilians <laughs> in other countries because of inflation
0: nathan they have to do something yeah so the republicans keep talking about how un like like unsustainable this current level of spending is this current deficit is but they have they're they're completely unwilling to cut national defense which is a bloated budget like you could if you cut it to like half of what it was we would still have significantly more than the next country which is China we would still have significantly more than China and Russia combined if we cut our military budget in half our two biggest rivals we would still have more than both of them combined and Most of those other countries that I read that are part of those top 10 countries are fucking allies. Saudi Arabia is an ally. Maybe they shouldn't be, but they are. United Kingdom is an ally. Germany is an ally. France is an ally. South Korea, Japan, Ukraine. Like, most of them are allies to begin with. But of course, that's always off the table. And again, I'd like to remind you, that is because of the military-industrial complex. It's because we have legalized bribery in this country where there are these... Defense lobbyists that are going into Congress, telling them what they can and cannot vote for, and when they f- do their bidding, they give them they give them can tra- campaign contributions, or you know, in many cases, they give them a cozy lobbying job after they're out of Congress. It is it is complete corruption. But that is off the table. You know what else is off the table? Tax increase for billionaires. That was a that was a proposal. Won't someone that think
1: gave. of the billionaires.
0: Yeah. That was that was something that Biden proposed. He was like, "Well, if you actually care about reducing deficit, then here, let's uh, let's let's raise taxes on billionaires." And of course, that's off the table because who do who do the Republicans represent? It's not the American people. It's not average, everyday Americans. It's not the working class. It is billionaires, the billionaires that fund their campaigns. It is
1: also worth noting, which again, I feel like we all intuitively understand this, but billionaires do not stimulate the economy. In fact, very, very, very wealthy, like the high echelons of wealth do not stimulate the economy because they keep their money and they really just live off of such a small proportion of their wealth that constantly refeeds itself. They're not stimulating their economy. They're not putting money really into anything. Yeah. It just stays with them. It just, it's like a sticky machine. It's like they're covered in glue and money pours at them, but it doesn't come off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So instead of cutting military, which they should, instead of, uh, instead of taxing billionaires, which they should, which by the way, we don't even have to do any of this stuff. We don't have to do like, ideally, we should be doing it. But in order to avoid a default, we don't even necessarily have to do any of that stuff. They're the ones that are talking about fiscal responsibility. And Biden is proposing, well, here, here's a here's a way to 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 decrease the deficit. You're going to take it. Of course, they're fucking not going to take it. But but the, the point is that we don't even have to do any of this type of stuff. But because they have said that their priority is to try to cut from the deficit instead of of trying to cut our bloated military budget or tax billionaires, here's what they want to do: they want to reduce benefits for WIC, which, which is for the, children yeah, and pregnant the women, people, women's infant and children. The um, pro
1: life party, okay, the, cool.
0: The SNAP program. This would cut five million participants from WIC and one million for uh, older adults on SNAP.
1: Oh, oh, the older people. Yeah, yeah. 1 million one well, million
0: one million people on this SNAP this from will, the party that said, "Listen, cut.
1: y'all." Uh, If grandpa's got to die from COVID, grandpa's got to die from COVID.
0: Yeah. It would force cuts to housing assistance, which would harm families. It would harm older adults. And it would absolutely harm uh, people with disabilities. Um, And in the end, it would affect 2 million people that are receiving rental assistance. 1.6 million people that are currently uh, in public housing. And by the way, all of this is... uh, Broken down by the center on budget and policy priorities, they did a really great breakdown on of this. Uh, and then 119,000 fewer people would receive services through the homeless assistance program. So and, fuck the homeless and people. Just
1: to remind people that when someone is experiencing homelessness, it it really makes it almost impossible to get a job, makes it almost impossible to keep up with like medic medical needs, um, and it's one of the hardest things to overcome yeah it just to remind people that that is pushing you really really deeply into um like this impoverished circumstance that's a lot more difficult to get out of
0: yeah also this would cut from schools and transit federal uh funding for uh, schools and transit (laughs) which is estimated to cost states uh roughly 1.3 trillion dollars
1: Cool, 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 cool. Hope you like schlepping your kid to school. Doesn't matter if you have a job in the mornings.
0: Yeah, they've also proposed uh, work requirements um, for uh, for health coverage. So for Medicaid programs, this would end up putting 10 million people in Medicaid expansion states at risk of losing significant coverage. So 10 million people potentially losing their health care because of this
1: and the people. Who, uh, yeah.
0: And I I, I want to, I'll, I'll talk about why the work requirement is bullshit when I finish going through this. Uh, Cause I do want to make sure that we get to that, but yeah, this would potentially throw 10 million people off of healthcare. We talked about snap. The snap would come with a work requirement as well,
1: which is something that, I mean, I've experienced when we lived in Iowa, we um, got SNAP benefits. Now, here's the thing. Nathan was eligible. I was not. Nathan was eligible because he went to school for his graduate degree and he worked um, as a graduate assistant. I was not, even though I was going to school more than full time. um, Some people would say, oh, well, even if you're a student, you need to be going to school part time and working side note that doesn't always work because some universities don't like you to go to school part-time they really expect you to be going full-time also it delays your time before you can get a job that maybe pays you more it's also worth noting that if you are let's say in a family where one parent works and the other parent doesn't work because they have several young children that they can't actually afford childcare for. Um, it would be more expensive for that other parent to go to work and then to pay for child care. If you have that kind of experience, then that person is working just at home. They can't just leave their yeah. young children alone necessarily. So this is just really, um, biting it out of a lot of people.
0: Yeah. It also would implement a uh, work reporting requirement. By the way, I should say, it's not just a working requirement, it's a work reporting requirement, all right? And that is a, that is an important distinction because people who are working would be required to report how much time they would be working. And in many cases, if a person is working uh, a full or part-time job, the hours that they report might not meet the requirements because they're they might have inconsistent work schedules, which is very common yep. among low paid workers. Um, it might be people who are between jobs yeah, uh, or people with more than one job. And also it creates a bureaucratic hurdle that people are going to need to 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 try to go over, which in many cases, I mean, we've. Jess and I, in the past, we've tried to apply for government assistance in the past. The more hurdles, the more means testing they do, the more complicated the process ends up being, and the more of a chance there is for people that would actually, on paper, be eligible for the requirements to still not be able to get it because it's so fucking complicated.
1: Yeah, there, there's actually um, a lot of issues also with just navigating those Application processes and understanding um, if something changes, how you're supposed to address that. Um, I don't know how this plans to address it, but when we went through getting SNAP benefits, we were sent a letter that said, okay, this is the date and time that you will talk to your case manager and they will tell you the specifics. And then it said, oh, yeah, by the way, if you want to talk to them, you can try calling this. But it's not just like you can call that person and they're waiting to answer your phone call. You have to make an appointment and that could be several weeks out because these people are very overworked so it's also not that easy um also side note if you work a job where you don't have the ability to pick up your phone and call someone in the middle of the day you're just sol
0: yeah um it would also impose a work requirement for the temporary assistance for needy families program. that's tanf which i mean
1: it just all of these programs are really important um for obvious reasons. And I just don't understand. I know that this is maybe naive, but I just can't understand people saying, you know what we can't afford to cut is this DoD budget or like, you know, we can't afford to tax billionaires. But you know, people who literally might die from not getting their basic needs met, whatever they don't have money those those schmucks just need to die and make room for the rest of us i just don't get that attitude
0: yeah and by the way tanf is linked to um fewer babies having low birth weights uh children and parents being healthier and living longer um children tend to be less likely to experience abuse and neglect Uh, they're more likely to complete school, and they're more likely to have higher earnings as adults.
1: Which is important if you only care about money. People completing school and having higher earnings means it stimulates the economy. Also, I would just like, anybody who doesn't know a lot about these programs, just look them up. These programs are already restrictive in their means testings. I mean... A lot of the the base level income that you have to meet in order to qualify is so low that it's almost comical if anybody has been able to live on that low wage. TANF specifically has very specific lifetime limit benefits yeah. where if you've drawn on this, I think it's five years. Don't quote me on that but if you've drawn on it's for life it doesn't matter what situation occurs it doesn't matter what happens in your life once you've used up your amount you've used it up so it's not as if these programs are something that's already sustainable and that's sustaining people long term it's not
0: yeah and in case any of you still think that this has anything to do with protecting the deficit get this this would also reduce funding for the irs
1: Well, yes, what
0: that means is actually less revenue because more funding to the IRS means that they have more resources to, to, to go after billionaire cheats when they have less funding. They don't go after billionaires as much. In fact, they're more likely to go after after lower income people. So they're literally like in in that action, in the in the totality of this, they are giving Billionaire cheats to the system a pass so that they can literally take food out of the mouths of children. That is who they are. That is who they work for. And 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 I and I just wanna take a step back. Let's talk about the work related uh the work requirement. We already talked about some of the issues with that, but I just wanna I wanna steel man the argument for just a second and then and then and then I'll tear it, it
1: down. Don't worry about it.
0: We'll both tear it down. Um, so the argument that Republicans are always making about why there needs to be a work related requirement on these programs is the idea that if you just allow all these government programs to be given out willy nilly with no means testing, that people will just be lazy. They will live off the government. They will cheat the system and they'll just never work. Excuse
1: me. They're not billionaires.
0: (laughs) Uh, Good point. Um, that that they'll just they'll just never work and you know intuitively in some ways that argument does make sense all right if you are given everything you need then why 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 would you work for it and of course the other the reason why republicans say that they want to do this is they're actually being they're actually being generous because when you take away that safety net it forces people to adapt which means they're more likely to try to better themselves they're
1: Hold on. Hold on.
0: Hold yeah. on. they're more likely to try to embed themselves they're more likely to try to seek a job they're more likely to go out and get a job because they have to they're, they're forced to in order to survive and people are adaptive which means that you know the, the less help you give them the more independent they're going to be so, so that's the argument here's why it's bullshit first off we actually do know based on state level experiments on work requirements for various programs including you know including medicaid including snap mm. that we don't actually see the same that disincentive for people not to work on top of that we also see from from experiments regarding universal basic income which michael and i have talked about on this pod before that even when you don't means test it like when you don't means test government aid or 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 additional aid financial aid at all even when you don't means test it the results are not that people are just lazy the results are that people actually do try to get a job but they try to get a better job all right so so what they found when they when they did that study in California that we we talked about in a previous show what they found was that the people that were given the, the the temporary the, 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 the temporary universal universal basic income did actually try to get a job, even the ones that were unemployed, they did try to get a job, but they actually waited until a job that actually was number one fulfilling but number two actually had a good good compensation to come around before they actually took it because they had that additional safety net. They could be more sparing. About which job they took. So what that means, what that means is that when you don't have a work requirement and people have that social safety net, that gives them the ability when they're looking for jobs, and most of them will be looking for jobs, that gives them the ability to not just take the first thing that they that they desperately need that, that, that comes around. See, the argument is when you're desperate, you'll go out and get a job. But the problem with that is that when you're desperate, you will go out and get any job. Even if it's a minimum wage job that has horrible hours and pays you garbage, you'll go out and get it. But if you have a safety net and someone offers you a minimum wage job with terrible hours, you're more likely to be like, fuck that. I'm going to try to get a better one that's going to be better for my family. Which Which is pretty relevant from the party that says... Why are we
1: raising minimum wage? Minimum wage jobs should only be for like high schoolers who are just starting out and who are only doing this to earn some extra cash. You know, they often say, listen, if you can't support your family on that, I don't think you should. I think you should go out and get a better paying job now there are all kinds of issues with that but if you believe in that premise if you believe that minimum wage jobs are not meant to support a family they're just meant for like high schoolers or like someone who just wants a little bit of extra Which cash is not around true. christmas FDR
0: specifically when, he, when yes. he created the minimum wage he specifically said that no business that that uh relies on paying their workers less than a living wage deserves to exist he specifically said that anybody who says that the minimum wage was originally created for for high schoolers or some shit that's they're wrong. But if, They're but just if you, wrong.
1: But if you genuinely believe that, oh, minimum wage jobs are for like when you want to pick up an extra job around Christmas for some extra money or for like high school kid. If you believe that, then you would want this because you would say, oh, OK, so this will mean that the only people in those minimum wage jobs are people who don't really need to support themselves or a family. It's only going to be the people Who, um, just kind of needed for like developing their skills and getting a little bit of cash.
0: Yeah. And here's, and here's the issue. And here's why I think Republicans really care about this. The more desperate people are for work, the more likely they are to accept a shitty deal, a shitty deal. They love in many cases, having
1: serfs. Okay. conservatives, cream themselves over the idea of serfdom i they don't necessarily know what it is but that's what they really want
0: So, so so the point is this gives those employees less bargaining power because they're so desperate one of the interesting things that came as a result of the covid pandemic is that because of the government assistance people were actually allowed to be more uh you know choosy choosy about what jobs they got when things started opening up and 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 because of that businesses actually had to compete to give better pay and better and better care uh better benefits to the people that were applying for these jobs but the thing is that's what republicans don't want because those are the businesses that are funding their campaigns
1: and i think that is in part this is a retaliation because we are seeing more labor movement we are seeing Mm laborers with more power one of the examples in history of when that has happened when people started to have more power to negotiate their salary was after the black plague yeah when there is some type of tragedy that throws society into this kind of chaos and you have a lot of positions that need to be filled and all of these businesses need to step up or they're not going to get workers it's advances civilization
0: yeah so when i see this as a proposal from republicans my initial thought is this proposal shows what their priorities are and any compromise with priorities like this are going to be bad is going to be bad is going to be detrimental and there is one possible avenue that biden might actually have in order to avoid a default which it does come with some complications and it is possible that there isn't enough time to do it. But I mean, if Republicans are going to be this bad faith about what they're proposing, I, I don't see any point in really, in really trying to continue to the negotiations. And it seems to me like the, the best bet is to do this. So
1: it's like the, we do not negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, basically, stance.
0: basically. So, the Fourteenth Amendment. So you probably know the the Fourteenth Amendment as that thing that says that states cannot impose on equal protection, uh, cannot violate equal protection under the law, or that uh, if you're born in the United States, you're a citizen. But there's another part of the Fourteenth Amendment that is relevant to this. All right. The Fourteenth Amendment states, quote. The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law includes debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion shall not be questioned. What it's saying is that you cannot question whether or not the United States will, you know, will pay its debts, will incur its debts. The argument is that having a debt ceiling, therefore is unconstitutional because it is questioning the government's ability to to pay its debts. Therefore, the debt limit is unconstitutional.
1: Eat that, Clarence Thomas.
0: Now, the issue with that is that... So, the Biden administration has said that they don't want to do that, but they're not necessarily taking it off the table. Because the, the problem is, if they did that, there would almost certainly be a lawsuit and the concern is that if a lawsuit happens that we don't have enough time for it to be settled before we you know before we hit the the debt limit which again the debt limit we're predicted to hit it on June 1st which is like a week from now so his concern is that we don't have enough time to do it i would say at this point um that doesn't mean you shouldn't just, try uh, yeah at this well well he's worried that it would that it would sabotage negotiations honestly i there think there's no
1: negotiation i think
0: i think at this point um the negotiations are bad faith and you should and this is the best this is the best avenue now he did say that the one thing that is off the table is default so it sounds to me like what he's saying is that if if we hit that and there's there's no deal. There's literally nothing on the table that that's when he would do it. He would do it as a last resort. But honestly, I think at this point, go ahead and do it. And when you do it, fucking dare the Republicans to to take you to court, because I mean, because if they do try to take you to court, make it clear they are taking like the Republican Party is taking me to court to throw for their right to throw the government into a recession. I came up with a solution to prevent us from going into default they're trying to sue to prevent it from happening all right turn it around
1: consistently that the establishment democrat fails to do which is to actually show any kind of like you know chutzpah and fight back um they just consistently go oh the republicans don't want to do this i don't know what to do stop trying to get them to do it it's not working i love that the establishment Democratic Party will consistently face these bad faith attempts where the Republicans just hold a metaphorical gun to their heads and say, do it or else, and they they don't even try to combat it. They're like, we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. It's It's pathetic and it's also lazy and I am fed up with it as I'm sure many people
0: are. <laughs> So now it's time for our favorite segment, ball Ass sack Hat of, of the week.
1: week. Oh, I thought we were calling him a
0: ball sack. No, we're not calling I'm him a sorry, ball I'm sorry, it's
1: just that's what he looks like with his little, like, chin pubes.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you, you've you've kind of already given it away. So, um, Jess, who is our ass hat this week? Ted motherfucking Cruz. Teddy Cruz, come on Zodiac down. Zodiac killer. <laughs> I am Lion declaring Ted him as, the as Zodiac killer.
1: <laughs> Nathan, yeah. Why is Ted Cruz our ball sack of the week?
0: A- ass hat.
1: Sure. <laughs> what did I say?
0: You said ass hat. It's okay. <laughs> um. So, apparently, Teddy Cruz really hates beer. <laughs> I hate beer. I've always hated beer. <laughs> Specifically, he hates Bud Light. Now, <laughs> what a little baby. Yeah. See. See, I actually like. I'm not a fan of Bud Light because you know it tastes like piss. Um, Some people are into that though. <laughs> to each their own, I guess. Listen,
1: um, <laughs> people are into piss play. Anyways,
0: anyways. Speaking of piss, back to Ted Cruz. A little so, piss,
1: baby. Yes, go so, ahead. So,
0: as many of you might have might have heard, there was this there was this ad campaign that uh, that Anheuser Bush, the uh, the company that creates Bud Light, um. Put out where they they put this uh, uh, this this trans woman who's apparently a, a big deal on TikTok or something. Uh,
1: an influencer. An
0: influencer uh, Dylan Mulvaney, and they they literally just put her on the beer. Like they just they just put a picture of her on the beer. I understand that a lot of like a lot of everyday Americans were weirdly offended by that. <laughs>
1: Because they're little piss babies.
0: But Ted Cruz took it a step, like, way too far. Uh, he has actually announced an investigation into Budweiser, into into the into Anheuser Anheuser Bush. Um, yeah, that's
1: not overuse of power claim, or anything. His,
0: his claim is, his claim is that by using Dylan Mulvaney, that they were marketing to minors. Now, uh, first off, uh, Dylan Mulvaney is 26 years old, which fun fact, 26 is about 21.
1: Um, not a minor. (laughs) Interestingly.
0: Yeah. So his argument was that, uh, that Mulvaney's arguments, argument skews more specifically to, uh, to younger people. Like her, her main, her main audience on TikTok is mainly younger people. Oh, and by the way, in the, uh, in the the letter that he wrote threatening uh threatening Anheuser Busch. Um he routinely misgendered uh uh Dylan D- Dylan um clearly on purpose. Uh
1: yeah he's a dick.
0: Yeah he's a dick. Um it's such a stretch. Like literally he's just saying oh a lot of her a lot of her audience is is younger people and apparently at one point she like she she sometimes pretends to be this six-year-old like there's this six-year-old character that oh, she plays no, no, no!
1: now i see it and I she's get like it. she
0: plays with barbies sometimes which i just like to point out um uh chris pratt who uh was in the lego movie which fun fact is a kid's movie um did a 2018 super bowl campaign with uh i've, I've never known how to pronounce this uh michelob 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 no yeah. Michelob I think yeah Michelob I, I was like, We're so
1: good at <laughs> knowing the beer stuff
0: I I don't really drink it that often but but anyway <laughs> so he did an ad campaign with them and he was and he was a voice actor for a kid's movie so why isn't he under investigation well I'll tell you why because it's not about that Ted Cruz doesn't like the fact that his favorite beer had a trans person on it, so he's using his power as a senator to try to intimidate them.
1: Yeah, that's, um, how is that not being brought up? Like, how is he not opening himself up to an investigation and overuse of powers the overreach of power?
0: And he's even, he, he's basically said, like, oh, if you want to avoid a lengthy investigation, you will publicly sever your ties to Mulvaney, and you will, uh... And, you know, she will remove all Budweiser products from her uh, from her TikTok and you will publicly apologize.
1: You know, it's not often I'm on the side of the corporation. I feel a little wrong footed here, but I just hope that they bury him in so much like paperwork and time with their expensive lawyers.
0: Anyways, so a special hearty congratulations to Ted Cruz for being our. Ass Hat of, of the, the week. week.
1: And also, ya basic.
0: All right. So now it's time to end our podcast as we usually do with our highlights. So Jess, what's your highlight?
1: I made some bitchin' shrimp rolls earlier.
0: Mm, like, she did. I, I can, rolled them up all nice and I can and testify yummy. to that. I can testify to that.
1: They were like real nice, real summery, real tangy. Mm. Just enjoyed it i don't know i didn't make me nauseous after so i'm gonna count that as a w
0: yeah yeah
1: oh nathan what's your highlight
0: my highlight this week is something that you kind of already spoiled um but uh several weeks ago uh i said that um my highlight was something that was wonderful that i wasn't allowed to say publicly yet but it was awesome now uh we're out of the first trimester, so I'm I'm being public about it. Um, Jess and I are expecting. A,
1: expecting what?
0: A a, a a baby.
1: Oh crap! Like through FedEx or what?
0: you you're, you're, it's 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 literally inside you oh yeah that's 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 why you that's why you this is brand new information. that's why that's why you keep feeling nauseous darling this
1: is brand new information
0: (laughs) anyway so yeah uh my highlight is i'm gonna be a dad and i'm so happy to be uh shouting that out to everybody
1: i think our dogs take offense because you're already a dad
0: (laughs) and with that we have a few people to thank for making the show possible. First off, as always a wonderful, wonderful and huge. Thank you to our editor Kayla for everything they do to make the show possible. And of course, a thank you to our patrons, um, Jerry DeViller, fade out scoop, Kyle Chaska, Taylor bloom and Tobias Janssen. And if you want to be a patron, then head over to patreoncom slash the Perspectrum and, uh, chip a little bit in. And uh, you'll get some extra content, you know, some more stuff from us. So it's a win-win.
1: Yes, we are with child.
0: And of course, to you, dear listener, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week.